was ghostly quiet the day that I visited. No one in the group talked much at all as I walked through the gate and stared up at the words set in wrought iron. Abrecht macht free. Work makes you free. It all felt wrong. Even now, decades after the horrendous atrocities that had been put to an end, there was a spiritual aura of death that hung over the whole place. How could humans be so utterly, murderously brutal to one another? This is the gate at Auschwitz prison death camp. We might argue why human beings treat each other such, but there is no denying that we do. I do. And I'm not admitting murder here, not in the physical sense, but I am owning that I'm no different from those who thought up Auschwitz and made it a very real place. I cannot think of myself as innocent. To think of myself as, of, as incapable, given the right conditions, of doing something similar. All of which elevates the very real presence and experience of forgiveness, which we're going to talk about today, from something that is nice, from something that's necessary for us to get along, from something that's necessary to be in good mental or spiritual shape. And it elevates it from that to make it as something essential to our survival, our personal survival, and our survival as a people as well. Forgiveness is absolutely necessary to keep us from destroying each other in a thousand different ways. In short, we need forgiveness for ourselves, yes, but also for the sake of others. And that is the end of forgiveness or the telos of forgiveness is not just my restoration, but the restoration of all things. We seek forgiveness not just for our own sake, but also for the sake of others. And let me tell you, if you've ever really thought about forgiveness, being forgiven, if, you, if you've done something that was really, really wrong, you knew it was wrong before you did it, and you did it anyway, and then you saw the effect on the other person, and then that person extends forgiveness to you. In the movies, it's all sappy. In the movie, the, the, the swelling music plays. In the music, everything is good. In truth, it offends us. Especially the very real forgiveness of God, who is the ultimate being that we offend. Will Willimon wrote this years ago, and it's a quote that I've used countless times. 
He says it's tough to be on the receiving end of love, God's or anyone else's. It requires that we see our lives not as our own possessions, but as gifts. John Wesley wrote long ago, nothing is more repugnant to the capable, reasonable person than grace. Because forgiveness costs something, and we really receive forgiveness, we realize that somebody is doing something for us we cannot do for ourselves. And that's offensive. It's offensive to us because we like to think we've got it all figured out. We like to think with just a little more effort, just a little more money, just a little more time, I'll get it all worked out. A little more education. If I could just get a few, a few more things lined up right, I can handle this. We can't handle it. More time means more offense. More resources means we hurt more people. Forgiveness reveals the truth that we are all desperately in need of it. The text we look at this week, especially in our political climate, um, as a teaching team and and me personally, um, it's been a real struggle. It's been a real struggle this week. And I think you'll see why as we get into it. We're reading from 2 Samuel this week, chapter 11. It's a story you're going to be familiar, familiar with, but I think, again, in light of recent cultural events, you'll see why it is especially poignant. In the spring of the year, at a time when kings normally conduct wars, David sent Joab with his officers an entire Israelite army. He sent them out. He didn't go with them. David, the warrior king, stayed back. They defeated the Ammonites and besieged Rahab, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, this woman was very attractive, so David sent someone to inquire about the woman. The messenger said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent some messengers to get her. She came to him, and he had sexual relations with her. Now, at that time, she was in the process of purifying herself from her menstrual uncleanliness. Then she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Let us be clear here in this because it is easy to mistake what's going on. This is not a woman luxuriating on top of a roof in a bathtub with bubble bath and candles trying to entice an onlooker. To use this passage as any kind of morality text is to do violence to it. Ritual bathing in the cultural context of this, Bathsheba was probably fully clothed. 
Any of you have worked in many developing countries, especially like in India, the bathing ritual is done fully clothed. This was also a prescribed practice by the mores of society. She, had, she, was, she was doing what she was supposed to do at this time of the month to maintain her status and cleanliness. The only thing that was possibly uncovered at this time was her hair. Because it was her own house, she was doing it at night to escape the eyes of anyone, she probably had her veil off. And David, make no mistake, from above, abusing his power. When the king sends for you, you cannot say no. You don't have any agency. Bathsheba had no agency in this situation. David raped her. He abused his position. He raped her. And then he tried to cover it up with murder, which is what we see. We are in a society right now where these kinds of acts of abuses of power are being exposed for what they are. We need to do that here. This is not a situation of a good king who's just restless being seduced. This is rape. This is abuse of power. The story goes on. She comes back. She's pregnant. David literally manipulates the murder of her husband to try to cover his tracks. And then we continue on. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah was dead, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning had passed, David brought her up to the palace. She became his wife. She bore him a son. But what David had done upset the Lord. And this word upset is, is unique here. It deals with the eyes. And we could translate that as literally this was painful for God to watch. That he saw what was happening here and he, it pained him to see it. This isn't some kind of moral violation where God is upset because somebody stepped out of line. This is literally a visceral response from God to seeing someone he loves abused. From seeing two people that he loves, David he loves too, Bathsheba he loves, treating each other specifically David treating Bathsheba with such utter violence. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to David, Nathan said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great flock, had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for a little lamb he had acquired. He raised it and he grew up alongside him and his children. It used to eat his food, drink from his cup, and sleep in his arm. It was like a daughter to him. 
When a traveler arrived at the rich man's home, he did not want to use one of his own sheep or cattle to feed the traveler who had come to visit him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and cooked it for the man who had come to visit. Then David became very angry at this man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he committed this cold-hearted crime. He must pay for the lamb four times over. David, Nathan then said to David, and how did he say it? I, I wonder, how, was, it, was it bold? Was it in your face? Or did he just hang his head and whisper, you are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I chose you to be king over Israel. I rescued you from the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house and put your master's wives into your arms. I also gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all that somehow seems insignificant, I would have given you so much more as well. Why have you shown contempt for the word of the Lord by doing evil in my sight, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife as your own. You have killed him with the swords of the Ammonites. Now, there are a lot of ways we can mess up forgiveness, but there are two really big ways. One is the first way, the first thing that David did. Cover it up. Justify it. Try to make it go away. Ignore it. Give reason for it. Blame it on somebody else. So often when that conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, either personally when we're praying or through the words of someone else who comes and, and holds a mirror up to us and shows us our sin, I don't know about y'all, but the first thing I want to do is say, not me, or you don't understand, or it's really not that bad, or why are you having a problem with that? I, I, I want to deflect it. I want to deny it. That's pretty common. But there's another real way we can do that, and that's go to the opposite exchange, the opposite extreme. Oh God, you're right, I'm just, I'm worthless. You're right, I, I should never try anything again. You're right, I'm just going to leave. You're right, I'm just, that, that, we let that sin totally define us. Both are selfish. Now one obviously seems that way, the other one, it's not so easy to see, right? The other one, the person who's like, yeah, I'm just, oh, I'm just a miserable sinner, yeah. I know I've just met, I just can't, yeah, I, it looks humble, it's not. It's just as selfish, subtly so, but just as selfish. Both are toxic, both are destructive, and they're not just toxic and destructive to ourselves, but to everything around us. But back to David. Because I've really struggled this week. Because what's the first thing? What's the first thing when we say, after we say David? He was a man after God's own heart, right? 
as if somehow that gives him a pass. As, as if somehow that makes that okay for David. Hey, if this was, if this was Ishmael, pitchforks, torches, cast him out. But, but this is David, so we'll just cover over it, right? Because David's on our side. David's for our agenda. David's part of our group. So, so let's, let, let, rape, that's a harsh word, man. You know, that was no, you know, it was consensual, whatever. Because he's on our side. He's made God's own heart, right? Come on, he's got, we can't, we can't call it what it is. Because if David could do that, And still receive forgiveness. What about that person we really don't like? What about that person on the other team, the other group, the other side? It means we we have to forgive them as well. Not only that, but if this really is that bad. What about my sin? What about what I've done that I've justified? Oh, I've admitted it. Oh, I I know it's wrong. But, you know, I'm on God's team. I mean, I may not be like David with a heart out. Like, you may not say John, a man after God's own heart. But you may say John, he kind of looks like Jesus. (laughs) Right? So, so the things that he did, you know, oh man, yeah, that's bad. But you know, think about all the good stuff he's done. You know, I get a pass. You give me a pass. I give myself a pass. And I don't really deal with it. If I don't really deal with it, don't really understand forgiveness. For six weeks, we've talked about covenant. For six weeks, we've talked about the way that God has made God's self known to us. The promises that God has made towards us. The ironclad, irrevocable promises of God's presence, forgiveness, power within us. We have to have that if we're going to deal realistically with our sin. We have to have that if we're going to be willing to look at what we've done and call it what it is. Then when we can do that, we can start to receive that forgiveness. Then when we do that and go, God, you can forgive even that? That dark secret that we have inside of us that thing that we know if anybody else knew, they would reject us. That thing that is inside of us that we have either said or thought or done that even we can't stand. It is so appalling that we can't even name it. 
for fear that it will destroy us. The only way, the only way we get to that, where forgiveness can go deep and even touch that thing, is in the context of covenant. It's in the context of understanding that God has already done that thing. We just have to be willing and courageous enough and grace-filled enough to admit it. Once we do that, then we can start to forgive others. Then we start to see other people as people. That, that's how we can look at this and go, David raped Bathsheba. He's a murderer. He's a rapist. And yet, God forgave him. Who is it in your life that you can't forgive? Chances are in some way it's connected to the lack of forgiveness you're extending to yourself. If we don't view ourselves as really forgiven, we won't have the ability to truly and rightly forgive others. Our lack of receiving forgiveness prevents us from forgiving others, and that lack of forgiving leads to wrath and vengeance or abandonment and indifference. It is one of the most evil, destructive, and violent forces tearing at the world we live in. And if you don't believe that, if you don't think it's that strong, Go visit Auschwitz. Go to the killing fields of Cambodia. Or go to Wounded Knee. Or go to the Civil Rights Museum. Or go to the divorce courts. Or go to the middle school lunchroom. Friends, we have to learn to walk in forgiveness, our own forgiveness, the forgiving of others, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. This is not just some pietistic ritual that we're called to do because we're Christians. This is the power of the kingdom of God to change things, to redeem things, to save things. We receive forgiveness and extend that forgiveness to others for the sake of the world and to the glory of God. David poured out his heart in this, in Psalm 51. He said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love, because of your great compassion. Wipe away my rebellious acts. He understands what he did was rebellious. It was selfish. It wasn't just a mistake. 
Wash away my wrongdoings. Cleanse me of my sin. For I am aware of my rebellious acts. I am forever conscious of my sin against you. You above all, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. Look, I was guilty of sin from my birth. A sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. Look, you desire integrity in the inner man. You want me to possess wisdom. Sprinkle me with water that I will be pure. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. May the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away my guilt. Friends, when the revelation or conviction of sin comes, we certainly don't want to move too quickly. Don't hear me say that. The process of repentance, reparations, restoration, it takes time. Sometimes a lifetime. These all need to do their work. But we also should not wallow in self-pity or condemnation or shame. Through it all, we need to remember that the end of forgiveness, the end goal of forgiveness, is that God gets glory, that we are restored and healed, and that others are blessed. While it's easy to agree with the first two, the third might be harder to practice. The lack of the ability to receive forgiveness as well, of ex- as well as extend it is so utterly toxic, so pervasively violent, that often we can't even imagine a world without it. That's what we see in this story, though, is an imagination of what can happen to even a rapist and a murderer to receive forgiveness and restoration. I read this recently in a from a writer that I respect, writing about, he said, the, the cultural sin of America right now is not so much selfishness or even consumerism as it is wrath. If you're not for us, you're against us. If you disagree with me, you're not wrong on an issue, you're wrong as a person. And if you've done something that, is, that seems unforgivable, if you've done something, then you're disqualified forever and forever. There is no redemption available. Wrath. And he writes about it like this. He says, while all have sinned and stand in need of mercy, realizing the extent of opposition to mercy today dispels the myth that one's reception of the gospel is simply an issue of rhetoric. The message of grace is immoral and unjust to modern ears. Let me say that again. The message of grace is immoral and unjust to modern ears. To extend grace to those who don't think like us or vote like us, carry the same passport as us, come from the same place as us, is deemed immoral 
Sin is not simply an error of deeds, but a corruption of the mind itself, blind to its ignorance by self-righteousness. To genuinely know oneself as a sinner is to question everything you've previously thought was true. Christianity is and always has been an upside-down religion in a world that insists it sees clearly. It is light amid darkness. However, new and persuasive the message of mercy, and I would add forgiveness, might be packaged It will still be heard as a stumbling block so long as the universal religion of vengeful justice for sinners remains intact. Yet the gospel is the siren song of Christ drawing us out of the wrathful cacophony in which we live. To the world, such a withdrawal may look like a shipwreck, but to those being saved, it is the sweetest song. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We fail. If we fail to respond to this, y'all, we're in danger. And it's not just because I'm looking for a response. I, I hope there is a response, but it's not. Don't do it for me. Do it for the sake of others. So as the worship team quietly plays, I'm going to lead us through a confession and an assurance of forgiveness. But I want to give you time to think. I want to give you time to consider. Who is that person you cannot forgive? What is it that you've done or thought that you think is unforgivable or that you just don't want it? Because if you admit you need forgiveness for that, you have to admit you can't do it on your own. When you admit you need forgiveness, you're admitting you can't do it on your own. Holy Spirit, I can't do this on my own. You know the things in my heart. You know the things that I've named, that I've done, that I've thought, that I've wished for, that I've worked for, that are abhorrent, destructive, toxic. You know the people that I don't want to forgive, that I want to nurse and harbor hatred. And I've named them. God, extend your forgiveness to all of us, fresh, right now, so that we can name those things within us and let them be touched and cleansed by forgiveness. We can name those people events that have happened and let the healing process begin that starts with forgiveness.
So if everyone would stand up, please. I'm going to read this, and then you're going to see a response that comes up on the screen. We'll read it together. You may not feel it now. You may feel like it's hypocritical to say it now. Say it anyway. Let your words pave the way for your heart. Have mercy on us, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, forgive us. Free us from the guilt that weighs us down, from the sin that controls us. We have sinned against you and done what is wrong in your eyes. We are well aware of the wrong we do, the words we speak which wound, the unloving thoughts and actions which hurt others and ourselves. We know that these things distance us from you and keep us from recognizing your life in us. Forgive us. You desire honesty from us. You know that nothing can be hidden from you. And so we lay open our hearts to you now. We lay before you those things for which we need your forgiveness and those things from which we long to be set free. Gracious God, enter our hearts. Teach us what it means to have you at the center of our lives. God, we need your mercy and forgiveness. Only you can make us whole again. Only you can fill us with lasting joy. You can transform our weakness into strength. Oh God, put them longer on our past mistakes, but on the aspirations and longings of our hearts. Create in us clean hearts, O oh God, open and receptive to your spirit. Our God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, full of unfailing love. This morning, right now, Receive and be assured of God's forgiveness. Amen.